and welcome to episode 384 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to get LSAT, become LSAT famous, share some news or ask some questions, you can do so on our website. That's thinkinglsat.com. This episode will air Monday, January 9th. I don't think we have anything huge coming up, right? The January scores are going to come out on February 1st, but you can find all that at lsat.link forward slash dates. Is there anything you wanted to add to that, Nathan? No, January LSAT's right around the corner. You've already missed the registration deadline for the February test. So the next thing really to keep your mind, your eye on is the March 2nd registration deadline for the April 2023 test. Great. Well, let's, let's dive in here. We have an email from Chris. It says, Ben and Nathan, I've attached a Wall Street Journal subscription article I found this morning that breaks down some U.S. news and World Report news. It's a bit lengthy, but here's my pithy synopsis for the pod. On Monday, January 2nd, U.S. News and World Report sent a letter to 188 law school deans outlining the, outlining the following changes to their ranking methodology. Uh, we got some bullets here. Rankings will give less weight to reputational surveys in its next release. Sorry, really quick. So before that was 40% of the ranking from what I remember. A big, big chunk. The biggest chunk, in fact, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and Chris gets into that a little bit later. Um, okay. Rankings will remove per student expenditures from the methodology. We've talked about these things on the show in the past. So, yeah, the reputational surveys are like, hey, Columbia Law Dean, what do you think of NYU? Yep. And the the per student expenditures is just straight. How much money does your school spend per student? Yep. Which obviously rewards. (laughs) Well, it perversely incentivizes a lot of crazy shit like it, it just it basically incentivizes largesse right mm-hmm. the more you mm-hmm. can charge for your product and the more money you can spend at your school the more the higher you're going to be ranked so like which you know, build, allows build you to giant, charge more <laughs> yeah build a giant skyscraper in san francisco unnecessarily yeah and you know then next thing you know oh well you've spent a lot of money per student so therefore we're, your ranking is now going to go. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. wait, how does this student benefit from that? Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. Third bullet here: rankings will count graduates with school-funded public interest legal fellowships or additional grad programs, the same as other employed graduates. Which that one feels a little sticky to me because. The thing is, when a school is funding you, you're a graduate from the school and they're now going to fund you in this probably temporary public interest legal fellowship. I could be wrong. These might be permanent jobs funded by the school, but they're not. Are they, Ben? Can they be permanent? Permanent? The the school is on the hook forever. No way. We know that Um, these things are going to be it's got to be something like, well, wait a second. So. We want to make sure that these kids are employed two years after graduation or one year after graduation or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And so we're going to give them a job just to get to that point. And then they're going to sink or swim after that. 
So the schools have an incentive to basically buy their employment stats. Yeah. And it's fucking bullshit because they charged these people $60,000 a year times three to go to their school. And then they're going to turn around and pay that kid. What? $50,000 for one year of a public interest fellowship. Oh, and look, we got they got a job. I mean, it look, was worth it. Ninety nine percent of our <laughs> graduates get jobs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this might be a move in the right direction. We know that Yale and some of the schools that decided that they were going to no longer, you know, give the serve. They're not going to fill out the survey anymore. And I, I guess maybe one of that's their reasons. The, maybe yeah. that's the biggest news here, right, is that they're like. Because Yale and a bunch of other schools in the top 14 decided that they're not going to fill out our survey anymore, we're going to lower our weight on those reputational surveys. <laughs> and that's yeah. basically the upshot of this whole thing of all the schools opting out. You know, it's like, all- <laughs> okay, well, we can't depend on your information anymore, so we'll just rely on other information. We'll rank you different ways and probably better ways, ultimately. Yeah. You know, instead of just asking you guys what you think of each other. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But that last one does seem sticky. You know, it's like, okay, so now are we going to be able to count these employment stats? Like, are are we going to be able to trust these employment stats? Well, maybe that's something where law school transparency or some other data gathering institution can help us still filter through this, right? Because they say what kind of employment people are getting. So if you're working at a big law firm, the school is not funding that. And yeah, okay. well, maybe we can just look to those stats instead of public interest. So Chris has a whole uh, has has some more uh, comments here. Okay. Um, yeah. Chris says the article gives some insight on your recent questions about how tightly median LSAT and GPA might correlate with rankings. U.S. News and World Report shared that surveys from academics comprised 25 percent of last year's rankings and surveys from professional in the law field, professionals in the law field, made up 15% of the rankings. So they're not just surveying schools, although 25% of the rankings, I mean, that's a lot. 15% is going out to judges and attorneys and the like. Okay. Yeah. So 40% is due, is associated currently with reputation. With survey, reputational surveys. Yeah. Yeah. Which of course is a self-reinforcing, you know, like if you've been number one in the rankings, you're pretty likely to stay number one in the rankings because if every, you know, they're like asking, um, I don't know, you know, uh, some law school in South Dakota or whatever. And they're like, Hey, what do you got? What do you think of Yale? And they're like, Oh, number one. Yeah. Yale's number one. So the one. rankings, <laughs> so the 40% helps maintain ranking consistency, yes. right? Which is, it seems like that's something that the above the law rankings did not do. Because the above the law rankings go up and down like crazy. So they're idealistic. Hey, we're not going to even ask any reputational questions. I don't know what they decided to do, but I'm betting they don't. And now their rankings go up and down because they're based on these, quote, objective measures. And oddly, that undercuts the rankings. So in some ways, this kind of I know it's circular, but it, it. it helps the rankings gain legitimacy. <laughs> well, we do like when we see rankings bouncing all over the place, which, by the way, U.S. News rankings do also bounce all over the place. I mean, your school could easily be 30th in the country when you go there and 60th in the country when you graduate. Absolutely. Well, that bouncing <laughs> becomes greater as you go down yes. in the rankings. Right. But the, yeah. the top 
20 or so are are far less. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because, because people don't know who's ranked 40th in the country. (laughs) That's right. So So then it's like, what do you think of UC Hastings? And everybody's like, I don't know. They're the same as they all, whatever. I don't, not familiar with them. Like don't, huh? And so then they end up with, right. They don't get the reputational boost. Like the top of the, everybody only reads the top of the rankings. Right. So then they Mm -hmm. know, oh, those schools are serious. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also people who like, <laughs> like I've heard people in, um, I have friends in the test prep business of like, like SAT, you know, or that yeah, kind, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But when I end up talking to them, they'll like, tell me about how, you know, great. Well, of course, I mean, there's, you know, in your field, I mean, there's great law schools like Yale and Princeton and Stanford. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Princeton. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Princeton. What? Princeton doesn't have a law school, but if they yeah. did, though, you know that it would be one of the very top ones just yeah. because it's Princeton. It's, yeah. There's a lot of that like aura effect happening in these reputational rankings, right? So okay, so Absolutely. getting rid of those, it's got to be good. Anyway, yeah, it's just like any program at Stanford. It doesn't matter what the yeah. program is. People are like, oh, it must be good. Okay. All right. So Chris continues. U.S. News and World Report declined to comment on how these factors would be weighted in the upcoming rankings, but a combined 40% rating for peer surveys seems like an absurdly powerful factor, even if we were to assume the other 60% is wholly reserved for median LSAT and GPA. So Chris is vouching for LSAT and GPA as a good way to rank law schools, which I can't really disagree because if you have higher LSAT, higher GPA students, then you have people who are documented to be good at school, good at tests, good at figuring things out, probably hard workers. I mean, those two numbers are proxy for a lot. Hey, I do want to talk about that for a half second. So when I was doing, or when I was working for a legal writing consulting firm, one of the best in the country, um, I, we were surprised by the level of the writing ability of, attorneys and associates and partners at law firms and how those writing abilities directly correlated with the prestige of the firm and and how quickly the writing ability of attorneys and partners up and down the firm dropped as the firm's reputation dropped. And let me see if I can hypothesize. That's because those firms tend to hire from better schools and higher tiers of students, like better performing students at those schools. So they're hiring from yeah. better schools, kids with better grades. Oh, and by the way, the kids who went to better schools and got better grades do tend to have much higher LSAT and undergraduate GPA. Yeah. So when you're asking yourself, what's the cause of this? I mean, there are a lot of factors. And of course, it helps to have money and to <laughs> to get all those opportunities. But something, right? Like you talk about bar passage rates, right? Why are bar passage rates higher at some schools? Is it because the school is making them better at passing the bar? Probably not. It's because they had a better set of students come into that class. Yeah. Same thing as just continuing down the road into the legal practice. And that's what we saw. Also, says Chris, U.S. News and World Report recognized concerns from deans about diversity in a system that awards scholarships based on LSAT scores as opposed to estimating a student's financial need. Of course, U.S. News and World Report decided not to engage on these topics right now due to the complexity of addressing these issues. Hmm. 
I'm not sure what you mean by that, Chris, but I mean, I don't like if I was U.S. News and World Report, I would definitely try not to participate in any culture wars. Right. Like all they're doing is trying to sell rankings. Yeah. So they don't they honestly they give no shits. Right. They just want to keep selling rankings. Yeah. Um, Okay. Altogether, says Chris, I think that this proposed way forward from U.S. News and World Report may be an improvement for the effectiveness of the U.S. News and World Report rankings for at least the reason that it exposes the 40% law school prestige weighting that comes from the practicing law community and aims to reduce it. This is not new news, Chris. We've known 40% for prestige for a long time. So it's not like this is the first time light has ever been shed on that. But I agree with you that moving away from that is probably going to result in some better rankings. I mean, opinion polls of... 80 year old judges. Yeah, really? They know what kind of legal education and how that's helping you prepare for. Well, they literally might have been at Hastings when Hastings used to be one of the best law schools in the country. Yeah. Now Hastings is fine. You know, it's a regional school, but an 80 year old judge might not know that. And, you know, it could be the case that Hastings would be like 80th or 90th in the country if it wasn't for these reputational rankings. Yeah. In fact, I would be willing to predict that Hastings is going to be one of the schools that should fall. I mean, depending on what they change to, I guess I have no idea what they're going to change to. But if they change to like LSAT and GPA, then Hastings is going to fall. You know, what's interesting about this is that reputation does have merit in the sense that you often get jobs precisely because of the reputation. Right. So even though it's subjective and based on opinions, that's kind of reflecting the market. Right. Yeah. Although you could just use employment, right? You could use like employment average salary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or or give bonuses for like, oh, you're working in the you're a public defender. OK, so I know yeah. you're not making that much salary, but that's a like it's still I don't know. It's almost like public defender. Like if you're working in um, if you're working in the public service, either as a public defender or as a district attorney or in any other those jobs, it should just be like. I don't know. One fix would be let's just pretend that they're making the median salary for lawyers. You know what I mean? Like they're making a voluntary choice probably to work in the public interest. Mm-hmm. It's worth it for them to, mm-hmm. to take less money to do the work they really want to do. Mm-hmm. So they're fully employed. It's very reliable. Those government jobs are great, by the way. Right. Really reliable. Super great benefits. Probably a better lifestyle than most corporate attorneys. I don't I wouldn't want to ding them because they're making less money. I mean, that's a trade off where they've decided that they want this other life. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Okay. Chris continues. This change could also help with degamifying efforts that seek metrics for awarding scholarships other than relying so heavily on LSAT and GPA. Uh, I think it's actually going to rely more on LSAT and GPA if we if we reduce reputational significance. Yeah, I'm not sure what Chris means. Chris seems to be a big supporter of LSAT and GPA. I think he wants people to be. I think he thinks, which we tend to agree, that LSAT and GPA are a damn good proxy for how good the school is. Yeah. And I think that's what he would prefer, actually. Oh, oh, efforts that seek metrics for awarding scholarships. Other than relying. Other than LSAT and GPA, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So gamifying, like, for example, how much money you spend per student. 
those sort of things. <laughs> yeah. How big is your library? And like next thing you're like having hiring additional librarians because there's a librarian to student ratio that is, you know, it's like dumb shit like that, where it's like, well, clearly all they're doing is trying to raise their rankings when the best way to raise their rankings is to raise their LSAT and GPA. And the way that they have to do that is that they have to be more selective in their admissions. Yeah. Which is what yeah. they should be, right? I mean, selectivity is a would be a great proxy for that's ranking. a great proxy, yeah. And it's you know, but instead they're relying forty percent on like, hey, Judge Smith, who has been you know, you went to law school a hundred years ago. What do you think about law schools? Yeah. So dropping that does or reducing that does seem to be like a good move. As OK, Chris continues, as you've both noted on the podcast, the LSAT and GPA are pretty damn good indicators of success in law school and giving need based scholarships could lead to tough outcomes for applicants unprepared for the demands of the law field. Uh, OK, I mean, that's just not a thing that I'm really worried about, though, because if they're giving them a scholarship, then if they go like flail in the legal field, well, OK, but we gave we gave an underprivileged person a chance to succeed without impoverishing themselves. Yeah, that's the big challenge right now. That's the problem. Yeah. Not like I don't I don't know. I mean, sure. I do. I feel for people who spent three years in law school and then couldn't pass the bar or couldn't get a job or whatever. Yeah. But if they didn't pay tuition because they were there on a need based scholarship, then I feel like that's a win for society. It's like, well, no, but this person the risk wanted was to be a lawyer. The potential yeah. reward, because some people are going to come out very successful or much more successful than they would have otherwise been. So that's great. That's a win. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, Chris says, uh, oh, it seems that law school deans are committed to pursuing this endeavor nonetheless. And that is giving need-based scholarships. Well, we'll see, Chris. And oh, and by the way, you don't have to worry about that at Harvard and Stanford and Yale, which are the main schools that have decided that they're going to only give need-based scholarship. The, the people who get need-based scholarships at Harvard and Stanford and Yale, they're going to be just fine. Yep. Chris says, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. Let me know what I could cut out of the email to make it shorter. <laughs> Do you want to offer any edits for Chris since he specifically asked for them? Okay. I'm just scanning quickly. Uh, you say, I think... You can always drop, I think, when you're telling us stuff. We'll assume that's what you think. Anytime you see nouns that could be verbs. So, for example, you say, I think this proposed way forward from the U.S. News and World Report rankings may be an improvement for the effectiveness of the rankings. Okay, well, improvement is a noun, but improve is the verb. And if you cut out improvement and replace it with improve, you get may improve the effectiveness. It cuts out a bunch of words. It makes the word itself shorter. So whenever you have a noun that could also has a verb inside of it, look to see if you can use the verb instead. That's my tip. All right. You want to move on to, uh, we've got here a double header now. Uh, we got one from Anna and one from Alex. This is two pearls versus turds. Okay. Anna says, hey, Ben and Nathan, a quick pearl versus turds for you all. My therapist recently told me, you get good at what you practice. I started using that in various areas of my life, and this week it finally clicked for me in the LSAT. If I keep rushing through the passage, studying while distracted or aiming to finish, I'm going to get good at that. 
This highlights the danger of not doing questions slowly, reading carefully, and focusing. Not only am I not getting better at the critical skills, but I'm also getting better at the things that make my score worse. Talk about a wake-up call. Thanks for all you do. All the best, Anna. I have to agree with this 100%. This is a pearl, uh, the way at least Anna is talking about it. I was talking about this exact thing in class the other day. Someone asked, hey, I can do the first three passages in reading comp, and then I have five minutes left. Should I rush through the last passage? And I said this exact thing. I said, if you rush through the last passage, you're practicing that way of test taking. Yeah. Continue practicing the way you're going to do it, and eventually you're going to get faster. And the reason you're going to get faster is that as your understanding increases, you become more and more confident in eliminating answer choices, at least this is the main way for me, eliminating answer choices before you've even read three words. You read three words and you're like, I'm out. And people in class are like, wait, why were you so sure you could leave then? And I said, well, the first three words said under existing laws and the passage never talked about the current state of the legal system. So I don't know anything about the existing laws. So as soon as it says that, I'm out. That doesn't mean it can't ever be correct in any circumstance. Well, a strengthener, a weekend question or something like that. Maybe, yeah, or, you know, but. or even a must be true. It's like maybe they they go so, so, so such a weak claim after that, that it has to be true under existing law or whatever. But it doesn't matter. I'm super confident that that's going to be wrong. So I'm moving on from it. And if yeah. I eliminate all five, then we'll go back and we'll figure it out. But 95% of the time, that never happens. I would actually say 98, 99% of the time, and that ends up being wrong. And so, yep. anyways, yes, to practice the way you're going to play so yeah. that you can just get good at that and yep. not get good. I think people don't realize that, and this is what Anna is saying. You actually are developing other skills that are now making you worse. It would have been better for you just to, <laughs> to stop and not do anything. Yeah, you're getting better at doing the test a shitty way. You're yep. getting better at doing it wrong. Yep. You're reinforcing the idea that you're just going to do it wrong. I want to specifically highlight, she mentioned studying while distracted. Yep. I, I really hate that, y'all. Like, you guys come to class and you've got your cat sitting on your head, you know, jumping <laughs> up, get, stepping on your keyboard and shit. And it's like, you know, what are we doing, folks? Are, like... We, we got to be, we got to take this seriously. If you want to law is serious is what I'm saying. You know, th like this is work time. It's not cat on the head time. Isn't that cute? It's not cute. It's, and I'm not like telling you, you need to be professional in my classes or whatever. Obviously I, that's not what I'm talking about, but you're the one that's struggling with the LSAT. And if you want to understand the LSAT, it's going to take your full attention. And when your cat is on your head, that is not full attention. Yeah. And and people get distracted. I mean, and I, look, I understand you've got kids, you got pets, you got families, you got jobs. You, there's all shit you got to do. And sometimes in class or whatever, you know, you're going to be kind of half paying attention to the class and half paying attention to your kids. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe you could just pay full attention to your kids, though, and then later ca carve out time to, like, take the LSAT seriously. Oh, 100%. We'd much rather you have a solid good hour than two distracted hours. 
I mean, the yeah. same thing happens to me all the time when I go to the gym. The other day, I only had 30 minutes, but I went in there and I went to failure. So it's like, I can't go any further on these reps. I didn't do that much, but it was like failure, right? And then I'm out of there. I'd much rather do that than go for two hours and like do lightweights, chat with people, take <laughs> selfies, do all that stupid shit, Get right? on Instagram, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, why did you go there? And why did you spend that? that that's essentially useless. I mean, it's not useless. Hashtag I guess rise and grind. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's posting, he's got his protein shake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's just a waste right it's like better just to have done something else so yeah yeah i so that's great anna i agree that's a pearl um excellent we do need to get good at what we practice i mean i'm constantly busting people for like oh you're doing your logic games diagrams on a digital whiteboard you're not gonna be allowed to use that on the official test mm -hmm. oh you're doing your diagrams in pen mm-hmm well, but aren't you going to use a pencil on the actual test so that you can erase something small if you make yeah. a little tiny typo? Yeah, exactly. Or not <laughs> even gonna... if you make a typo. Maybe you realize, hey, I don't need that rule right. anymore. You change your I mind just... about the way you're going to do it. Like, what? What are you doing? And yeah. I was yelling at somebody in class the other day. Um, I was yelling at him for uh, flagging questions. Mm. And it's like, dude, We've talked about this. You know that you need to slow down because this is a guy who was he was finishing the, the sections and missing, you know, six. Mm. And he was finishing like five minutes early and missing yeah. six. And his, but as he was, do, he was also flagging questions and going back oh my and, gosh. you know, still yeah. missing six. And yeah. I'm like, well, dude, you got to slow down and do fewer questions like you finish it or or just don't like don't finish with that much time remaining. If you're missing questions, you're just not taking them seriously enough. Yeah. And then so he took it to heart and he like tried to make the change. But then we discovered in class like a couple weeks, three weeks later that now he was he he had slowed down a bit, mm. but he was still flagging questions. And there then it's like, well, wait, you're not going to flag questions on the official test. Yeah. And I really think that when you flag those questions, I mean, all you're doing is you're you know, you have not yet solved the question, but you're yeah. flagging it and picking an answer and moving on to the next one. Well, but you didn't finish doing your work, though. Yeah. OK, that's a pearl. Thank you, Anna. Alex says rule of thirds, pearls versus turds. Hi, guys. I mentioned the rule of thirds in Nathan's free class tonight, which was uh, overcoming score plateaus. There's a full video of that. What, are, what they go to LSAT.link slash Nathan. Yes. Correct. For the recorded yep. classes. Uh, just... Yeah. For the recorded classes, go to LSATdemon.com forward slash classes. OK. LSAT.link forward slash Nathan takes everyone to the most current upcoming the new the on. newest one that you can sign up for. And you can sign yeah. up for all of them if you just go to LSATdemon.com and get a free account. Yep. Um, and you can watch all the recordings of all the old ones. There's a ridiculous yep. amount of free shit there. <laughs> like you're, I can't believe people listen to this podcast and then don't have a free demon account. That's yeah. insane. Um, okay. I'd like to submit for pearls versus turds. The rule of thirds says when you're chasing a dream or doing anything hard, you're meant to feel good a third of the time. Okay. A third of the time and crappy a third of the time. If the ratio is roughly in that range, then you're doing fine. So maybe today was the crappy day along your dream chasing. And if the ratio is off, like you feel too good all the time or too bad all the time, 
then you got to look at if you're fatiguing or not trying hard enough or pushing yourself. Olympic runner Alexi Pappas talks about this on the Rich Roll podcast. You can find it at one hour, 36 minutes, 55 seconds. And there's a link. Thanks, Alex. I found this relevant to my LSAT studies on the demon. Some days I do well, some days really suck, and some are just okay. This rule helped me appreciate the slow but steady improvement process. Thanks, Alex. What do you think about the rule of thirds, Ben? In your gym life, yeah. I mean, you're chasing something hard in the gym, right? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about it because the last few days <laughs> have been hard. So, uh, and my HRV, do you know what HRV is? No. Heart rate variability is going okay. down. And so when it goes down, they say uh, you're overtraining and you need to like pull back so that it can come back up. Higher HRV is you're you're more ready for more stuff. So I was thinking about this as Alex was talking. I was like, yeah, maybe I never, th I've never heard of this rule. And uh, so I don't know <laughs> if it's right or wrong, but it, it makes sense on some level. If, if, if I went to the gym and every time it was easy and I ran out of there, it's like, what, how much am I really going to push myself and make progress? Right. But if it was always hard, like it feels like it has been for the last week, then I'm just going to drive myself into gr to the ground. That's not effective either. I, I don't know if this rule is is right or wrong, but it sounds like it it might might be right. Like it's like the right level of difficulty, maybe. Yeah. So the reason why I liked it in my overcoming score plateaus class is that I was trying to yeah. make the point that you're not always going to have your best day. And so yeah, absolutely, yeah, I constantly yeah. talk about the bell curve, right? And this is. Mm -hmm. This this maps nicely onto the bell curve. One third of your outcomes are going to be right around your average day, you know, point yeah. or two higher right at whatever your average is. But that's only going to happen one or one third of the time. Now, it could yeah. happen five times in a row, by the way. Yeah, but it's still only happening one third of the time. And you need to realize that one third of the time you're getting a really good day for you or, you know, a top 33% day for you. And one third of the time you're going to have a bad day for you. Mm -hmm. And that's always there. That's always present. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Another pearl maybe. Yeah. At, wow. at the very least, um, people can stop fretting about the fact that you have bad days. I think it's useful. I've always talked about, so I've, you know, I've kind of talked about it as a half and half where it's like, well, mm. half the time you're going to score at or above your average and half the time you're going to score at or below your average. Yeah. Which also maps perfectly onto this. This is just mm. a nice way of showing that, well, okay, we could also think about that as there's this middle third. Yep. You're going to score kind of right in line with that's you. Yep. But a third of the time there's like the, better you and a third of the time there's the worse you and yeah. the idea is through prep we're going to move up all of those but you're still going to have good days medium days and bad days your bad days will yeah. get a little better your medium days will get a little better and your good days will get a little bit better and that's the goal of prep but when you take any one practice test you don't even know whether you're getting a good medium or bad day for you yeah so useful to to just remember oh I'm disappointed with that result, but maybe that's just a bottom one third result for me right now. Yeah. And if that's a bottom one third result, well, maybe that's not actually that bad. Yeah. 
two pearls. My God, the scoreboard is now all the way up to 24 pearls, 69 turds and 26 ties. We're still running almost three to one uh, turds to pearls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful with the, the advice out there on the Internet. But those are two pearls back to back. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Alex. You want to read this email from Anonymous? Yeah. Subject, are law school admissions the bizarro world or the real world? And in this logic game, which world has me in it? Hmm. What? Okay. Here's the email. I attended an obscure Christian college that has zero academic reputation. Even people who live around here have rarely heard of it. It isn't one of those schools that teach the earth is 6,000 years old or that dinosaur bones were planted by the devil to destroy belief in God. <laughs> I've never heard that. Wow. That's, okay. You haven't heard either of those things? I've heard 6,000 years. But yeah, of course, that one. But uh, the, the dinosaur bones planted by the devil to yeah. destroy belief in God. Wow. That's that's. Um, no, I've I've heard people say that with a straight face. Wow. The devil's very cunning. Uh, very scientific too. Um, it is a real school, just drop dead easy to get an A. I keep reading the college doesn't matter, only the GPA, but that makes zero sense to me. So my 3.87 at Easy Ace U University <laughs> makes me more desirable than a 3.7 applicant. Oh, sorry. Does my, does my 3.8 at Easy A University make me more desirable than the 3.7 applicant from MIT? Um, no, uh, GPA matters, but they also, these schools do take into account the university that you attended, right? And the degree They do, that you and they also look at your LSAT. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I would say that if you have, let's say you have a 175 LSAT. Yep. If you have a 175 LSAT and a 3.7 at Easy A University. Or a 3.87 for this example. Yeah. Sorry, 3.87. Yep. At Easy A University versus a 3.7 MIT, but you have the exact same LSAT. I I would love to be able to run that experiment. You know, I, I would love to I would love to hear from applicants. Yeah. On that. But my guess is that that 3.87, even though it comes from nowhere university. When you pair it with a badass LSAT score, I think they're going to look at you and go, hey, you're good at school. You're smart as shit. You're going to raise the prestige of our school. Whereas a 3.7, that 3.7 might be below their median. Yeah, it could hurt them in the rankings. <laughs> so Even if they think that, oh, the 3.7 was harder to earn. So that student yeah. is a better academic at the end of the day, this guy got a 175 and we're not going to get hurt. We're not going to get dinged in the rankings. Schools are going to seriously respect an MIT degree. I mean, like nobody's going to look at a 3.7 from MIT and go, oh, you're bad at school. Yeah. But if the LSAT is the same, then there's going to be a strong incentive for the school to to prefer the 3.87 because it just makes them look better on paper which yeah. makes them look better in the rankings. And like, oh my God, is this process that cynical? <laughs> yeah, it is. I really think it is. Hmm. Okay, so Anonymous continues, why? Which we just explained. Also, will be will coming from a conservative Christian college 
cause law schools to deny me because they don't want people like me around. I've read online that some schools want students who can get conservative federal clerkships and it can be a positive. Others say it's an instant reject at most law schools to be suspected, <laughs> to be a suspected conservative. Stop reading online. Jesus Seriously. Christ. I'm not political <laughs> and I, I don't want to get denied due to association. To be safe, should I use my personal statement to let them know that I'm not political? No. But, you know, I could see someone getting rejected if they started talking about dinosaur bones and their qualms with the modern scientific community. Um, that would be odd, but that would just be because that's odd <laughs> for anyone, regardless of whether you're coming from a Christian college or not. Um, if your resume I don't think they're going to think about of- it. Yeah. If your resume has a bunch of like super suspect jobs on it, you know, I mean, I could definitely see if you were like you had you had founded a a gay reeducation camp, you know, one of those like pray the gay away school, like something like that. Yeah. If if that was the deal, then I could see I could. But I I still think it's going to be rare that like somebody in an admissions office is going to catch that and like shit can you because of that. I would still think that that's going to be like one rogue liberal somewhere in an admissions office. Yeah. Law schools are businesses. Yeah. You don't, it's not good business to only admit liberals. They are absolutely well, this not idea that. that, that conservatives <laughs> just being conservative is going to get you canned does absolutely not, not make sense. I, I think it's the, it's the zealot in off, off in some corner of some ideology that would maybe make people hesitate. I don't think just general conservative has anything to do with anything. No. And to, to be clear, I went to law school at Hastings in San Francisco. Mm. San Francisco is probably the most liberal city in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's bluer than blue, right? I was shocked at how conservative the class was at Hastings. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe how how conservative it was. Like if you they there was a crim issue where a where an Irish tourist had driven the car, rented a car and driven the car on the wrong side of the road. OK. And it was like a woman with her kid in the back seat, like buckled up into the safety seat. Mm. And the woman in this hypothetical they stopped and took in the view of the Golden Gate Bridge or whatever. And then this woman got back on the road and she's from Ireland and she starts driving her car accidentally on the wrong side of the road. Mm. There's an accident. Someone dies. And now they're polling the students about whether the prosecutor should or should not prosecute her for whatever it was. Yeah. Manslaughter or whatever. Yeah. And they we voted in the class. And I mean, oh. remember, I'm in San Francisco yeah, <laughs> in a place with presumably like people seem like they want to be good do gooders. And it was like 90 percent of the class was like, throw the book at this lady. Yeah. And I just remember being like, wow, really? <laughs> like she did it on accident. It said it clearly in the record. She had her child in the safety seat in the back. Do you really think that she was out there reckless driving as she was t- like? I understand that she violated the law 
you know, like it was dumb yeah. and she shouldn't have driven on the wrong side of the road. But it was clear that this was a full on accident. Yeah. And they still wanted to just prosecute her to the fullest extent of the law. You know, it's like we know she has to be punished for this. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So anyway, I don't know. Also, the Federalist yeah. Society exists and half. I mean, Ben, don't you think half of lawyers are probably Republicans? I have no idea. I, I, I have this sense that the legal profession is well, even if they're Republican. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're left of center. The legal profession is left of center, I would say. Maybe, <laughs> but I mean, not for long because like, OK, how about this? Lawyer salaries. Are lawyer salaries paid by Democrats or Republicans? Yeah, I mean, most salaries are big law, which are then corporate, corporate founded <laughs> or corporate, um, corporate servicers, right? That's who they help. Corporations. It's just, even if there's a lot of liberal mindset, possibly in the legal profession. Yeah, ultimately, it's going to boil down to world corporate funding yeah. of pretty much everything. Yeah. And so and and world corporate funding is neither Republican nor Democrat. It's both. I mean, it owns both parties. Mm -hmm. Literally, they, they just donate all the money to both parties. Yeah. So that they can always be in control no matter who wins. I, I think that you're totally fine. Anonymous like name. I, I don't. I would not protest too much in my personal statement, right? Like, don't... Don't bring attention to it. Right. Just, hey, you just went to a Christian college and now you're ready for law school. They're Let's never even going to have heard of your school, which is true for most people who apply. Yeah. Most, you know, like, there's a long tail, right, of, of just regional nothing law school or nothing undergrad schools. Yeah. There's big famous schools and then there's just hundreds of or thousands even of local whatever you know have you ever heard mm -hmm. of stanislaus state before well mm -hmm. stanislaus state is a california state university in turlock california no one has ever heard of this school unless yeah. you grew up there yeah and they they're not gonna that versus whatever your school is they're they're not gonna notice Yep. I would, I mean, what should anonymous write about in their personal statement? Them kicking ass in a job or something since they've graduated. Yeah. yeah. You kicked ass at a job or, or if you're right out of college and you've never worked, then, you know, maybe something that you kicked ass at, at school. Yeah. But just keep it about you. You're supposed to be selling yourself and you don't start, you don't sell yourself by going, well, now you might have a giant red flag in my file because of the fact that I went to this easy a university. Yeah, that's that's not a good beginning of a sales pitch. All right. This next uh, email is from Sydney. The subject is what it what it's like being a lawyer. I'm a sophomore in college right now, and I've been thinking for a long time that I want to go to law school. I really want to practice family law, but I don't know the specifics as to what being a lawyer is actually like. I would love to talk to someone about this so that I can see what the full picture of being a lawyer looks like before committing. I thought about firing back here to Sydney and just saying, well, then you got to go talk to lawyers. Yeah, but I, I I wanted to basically say that on the show. 
Yeah, you need to go talk to lawyers. There is one thing I'm concerned about here, Sydney. It sounds like you don't know what a lawyer does, yet you already want to do family law. So to me, I've heard this before. Now, I don't know if this is you, but it sounds like you're interested in family-related things. And so you want to take that interest, you want to combine it with your interest to go to law school and do family law. But most people... I don't think they actually want to do family law. Family law tends to be nightmarish. It's uh, people are getting divorced. Someone died. You now need to take care of something. A kid doesn't have a parent. They need a guardian. I don't know. When I hear family law, I hear drama. It is dramatic. Um, I uh, Counterpoint to that. One of my adjuncts, I took a family law class at Hastings, and one of my adjuncts was a guy who was a just practicing family lawyer. Okay. He had like the most expensive suits I've ever seen. <laughs> and he he was so passionate about what he did, or he was a fantastic actor, one of those, but he cried in class multiple times because he was so passassionate about his clients and his work and he really what kind saw of work himself. did he do oh he was doing <laughs> those suits didn't pay for themselves no he was a family lawyer is what i'm saying he yeah. was a family lawyer so he was a divorce lawyer yeah but he was the kind of divorce lawyer who you know does ultra high you know he's doing divorces for silicon valley types yeah and he was very passionate about that he th he and he saw himself as doing good where he mm -hmm. was zealously representing his client and yeah. he was, you know, probably taking one third of the family assets <laughs> en route to <laughs> managing this divorce. Yeah. Maybe it's not a third. It's probably not that high. Well, I mean, all the lawyers combined could be a third easily, depending on how contentious the divorce was. Yeah. But he really, you know, because I mean, you're, you're talking about custody issues and all kinds of shit. And he 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 really felt like he was doing good in the world. But he also was, you know, a mercenary. I'm I don't know. Have it, I have no idea what his rates were, but I got the sense that he was like the guy. Like if yeah. you wanted to win, you would hire him. Mm. And well, the person with the most money is going to be the one who's most excited to hire that guy. And so I just worry that these like passionate, you know, the people who are getting into it because they like their own, they went through a divorce themselves or their parents went through a divorce and now they think they want to go do family law. Uh, boy, I don't. Yeah. Like, do you know what that really looks like on the ground? Yeah. What I mean, what should uh, Sydney go out and do here? Sydney wants to talk to lawyers, which is great. So how does Sydney go talk to lawyers and who who said who should Sydney specifically reach out to? Well, ideally, if. There is people on lawyers on not God damn it. LinkedIn. That's what I was thinking, but I said we, we, we could bleep out. We could bleep out that word potentially. Yeah, I think it could be that could be a good bit for the show to just have a we shall not name that website anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Anyways, like uh, so go on to LinkedIn yeah. and start contacting people just saying hey exactly this i'm a sophomore i want to learn more about yeah what it means to be a lawyer can you grab coffee can you talk on zoom yeah 
And it might be a little harder to find them on LinkedIn, potentially. I like they're definitely though on a Google search. I mean, they're sure. in Google. They yeah. and and there's gonna be a phone number there. And you're not gonna yep. talk to the attorney, but you're gonna talk to somebody and you can talk to that person too. You can like learn how to work the system here, right? Absolutely. You might have to make friends with the gatekeeper. You might have to explain to whoever this legal secretary is or receptionist or whatever, whoever paralegal, whatever it is that you're able to get in contact with. You explain to them that you are a sophomore in college. You're really interested in family law. You know, you might be able to kiss their ass a little bit like, wow, I see that you have such a great reputation in my town of wherever I am. I was just any time I'm flexible. I'm right around the corner. I'd love to come in and talk to you. You could, I mean, boy, even if you don't get to the attorney, you could go in and just talk to the staffers, right? Oh, that's a great idea, by the way. Guaranteed, you could buy coffee for the receptionist. And learn a lot. Oh my God, you could learn a lot. You know what's so crazy about what you're saying right now? I was just looking at an article yesterday that was talking about how Gen Z, this is from a a a recruiter who acts as a employment coach. Okay. And and a lot of her clients are up and down the age range, but she has a lot of Gen Z clients. And she was saying the problems that she's encountering with her Gen Z clients is that they want to use email. Yeah. They don't want to get on the phone and they ask for too much money in terms of salary. So Mm. they're going to a job and they're, they're already expecting some, like, oh, I should get this. And it's like, Whoa, well, Ben, you... the average salary for lawyers is $100,000. So shouldn't <laughs> I get a $100,000 job? At least. I know I've heard of big law starts at 200. So, I mean, 180, it's not the 200. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So yeah. she was, that's what she was saying in this article. But as you were talking, I was thinking about this. Everybody is, and have this anxiety about picking up the phone or going into the office, but that's also your edge. If you call, you're going to be the only fucking person who's calling and saying, hey, I want to learn more about what it's like to be a lawyer at your law firm or just in general. And you may not talk to the attorney, you may talk to the receptionist, but you're going to learn a ton from that. If you walk in, it's almost even easier to walk in because you're just like, hey, how's it going? I'm not here for this. I'm just kind of curious what it's like to work here. And she, the person may start talking to you and tell you. But that's going to give you so much information so quickly and no one else is doing it. But also all of you out there listening to this, most of you are going to say, hell no, I'm not going to do that. And that's Good. just because. <laughs> that's good. That's Then it's not for you. Like you're, Yeah, and it's that's not totally for you. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. When you go out and do it, then it's for you. When you don't go out and do it, then it's just not for you. And sadly, what's going to happen is people are going to go to law school anyway and then realize that it's not for them. And I would I would strongly encourage you to figure out that whether it's for you before you ever even apply to law school. I just think, you know, don't even just stop going down this road until you know that it's a thing you actually want to do. But I love this idea of walking into a law firm and saying, hey, do you have lunch? And like, don't maybe even don't ask. Don't even ask to talk to the lawyer. Yeah. You Just can go learn in and so make much. friends with the receptionist. Yeah. Is there anybody? Do you guys like, are, do you guys have, it's uh, it's 11 o'clock. You guys have lunch? Yeah. Like, could I just tag along? 
Yeah. Like, can I buy your lunch? Can I, or can I, what time do you get off? Could I buy you coffee? Could I buy you a drink? I mean, I know it sounds like you're hitting on them, but all you're doing is you're, you know, you're going in with this pitch of, I am really interested in practicing law. I would like to know more about your firm is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure your attorneys are way too busy. That's such a great pitch too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure the attorneys would never have time for someone like me, but yeah, could I talk <laughs> to you? And then it's like in five minutes of having happy hour, that paralegal is going to be like, oh, well, if I tell this attorney to meet with you, they will. Yeah. <laughs> if they like you, they I'll will put, definitely connect you, you on their calendar. Yeah. You know, I mean, that obviously is maybe not going to happen on the very first one, but if you do it five times, like good shit's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. You're going to learn a lot really quick. Yeah. Make some phone calls, pound the pavement. These lame emails are easily ignored. And like on LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn might make it easy to play like the numbers game of, well, I could yeah. send out a hundred of these emails in an, in a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah, you could. And they could all be instantly ignored. Yep. So there's multiple ways to, but I mean, you just, you got to go out and hustle. By the way, family law does tend to be practiced mostly, I think, in small firms Mm -hmm. and very frequently in solo practice. So you have to sort of realize that if you do want to be this family lawyer, it's probably not going to be somebody else giving you a job. It might be somebody giving you a very low paid job in a small firm. But if you're ever going to make money as a family lawyer, you're going to have to pound the pavement anyway. Like you're going to have to be able to get the cases. So I don't know, but you got to go talk to those folks. One last thing I want to say is that if you're, if you are an LSAT demon, um, subscriber, yeah, even a free LSAT demon student, you'll get invited to our free classes in zoom. And there could be 200 people there. And if you put in the chat in one of our free classes, if you put, Hey, I'm a sophomore in college and I think I'm interested in family law. Do any of you work in a family law firm? Mm-hmm. If there's 200 people there, what are the odds do you think, Ben, that somebody oh, I've, works I've at a gonna, family law firm or knows somebody who does? Yeah, it, like, there's going to be there's going to be some responses. The, the community is crazy. They just jump in and yeah. help with everything. So. And we got all kinds of paralegals and legal secretaries and just people who have been in law offices for yeah. years. Yeah like years. I mean, people who have like established roots in their firm yep. and you could meet those people just by coming to one of our free classes or getting to know them in our paid classes. Hope that's helpful. Yep. Yeah. The next thing here is from Eric. He writes the podcast. If books could kill, did an episode on outliers. If you want to engage in some more Gladwell bashing. Yeah. You sent me the uh, episode. I listened to uh, a decent amount of it. I didn't uh-huh. finish it, but Yet more reasons why to question Gladwell's findings or publications. Yeah, to me, it was a pretty devastating takedown of Gladwell. Of course, I'm predisposed to hate Gladwell. Um, There were many examples, though, in the in in the podcast about Gladwell just doing a a very bad job of uh, he's not really finding the truth. He he finds his conclusions first and then he backfills anecdotes, really. Yeah, to support yeah. the conclusion that he already wanted to reach. Um, yeah. So if you want to, and I had read all, I mean, I've read all his books and it goes through all his books. I mean, it goes through tipping point, which was the first one that really made him yep. famous blank outliers. 
his other essays and shit. And it just, it basically, I mean, it just deconstructs all of Gladwell's bullshit. I mean, he's Mm. just pop. It's these airport books is what they call this, you know? And it's Mm. just, and they always have this like, Ooh, this is, you know, you thought that, but actually this. And what (laughs) the funniest (laughs) thing about the podcast is that like, all of the supposedly shocking insights are really just like obvious common sense. Like, Mm. Oh, people make snap judgments. Uh, Snap judgments are sometimes right. Oh, wow. Shocker. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I did get some laughs out of that. So it's, uh, the podcast is called if books could kill, I think it's fairly new and they only have a few episodes. I started listening to their one on Freakonomics and they are just full on attacking the Freakonomics guys Mm. for the book. And the thing there is that I don't think they actually investigated who Steve Dubner and Steve Levitt really are, Mm. but it, you know, they're taking them down a peg for this, like, (laughs) because Freakonomics does advertise Levitt as like this, rogue economist right Mm, mm -hmm. tenured professor at chicago (laughs) he's a tenured professor in the chicago school of economics right and he's a but he's a rogue economist yeah well no he's not but what that is is that's it's not really them doing the lying it's the publishers doing the lying it's the publishers Mm. and the editors you know pumping them up to to have this book that'll sell in airports and yeah. that might be what why Gladwell is. But I don't know, because I've heard Gladwell so much on his podcast and stuff, and it just seems like he's doing the exact same bullshitting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. OK. This next one's from Anonymous. Um, here, I'll read it. Hello. I just recently started studying for the LSAT. I plan on taking the test within a year or so, but I'm having a very difficult time completing the LR section in time. Currently, I can only finish about 14 to 15 questions within the 35-minute time frame. I'm only getting around 79% accuracy, which I think is okay since it's only been a week and a half since I started studying. Oh, a week and a half? Okay. There's a lot of potential here you, you have not tapped into yet. What is the best way to tackle this issue? My goal is no less than a 173, so I cannot afford this time mm. issue to be a constant problem. By the way, thank you so much for the introducing the LSAT book. It helps me grasp the concept so well, and I can't wait to benefit even more from y'all's resources. So that's oh, your yeah. book. Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's cheap. Um, read the book again. Yeah. <laughs> because the book makes it clear that speed is not what you should be going for. You need to be going for accuracy. And I don't mean 79% accuracy. Like 79%. I mean, you've only been studying for a week and a half, so I'm not, I'm not really (laughs) going to say good or bad. If you had been studying for months, I would say that's actually pretty bad. Like you shouldn't be doing 15 questions and only getting 79% of them, right? You should instead be doing, I don't know, 10 or 12 questions and getting 90% of them, right? Yeah. I I would much rather you do. Yeah. Yeah. I would much rather you do fewer questions and get them right. I think your goal of 173 is actually hurting you right now because you've got this. Well, if I'm going to get a 173, I can't afford this time issue to be a constant problem. Uh, Yeah, but you're not anywhere near 173. Uh, You're not at 165. You're not at 160. And 
you got to get to 160. You got to you got to start getting them right. Yeah. And you're getting you're getting some of them right. But, you know, for every one you missed, there's another one that you kind of got lucky on. And so I would say that your solve rate here is more like 60 percent. And then you're getting right. You're getting lucky on one out of five and you're getting unlucky on one out of five. And so like you think that you're doing better than you actually are as far as accuracy is concerned. You're not going to get a 173 by missing questions. So your problem is the ones you're missing, not the ones you're not doing. Your problem is the ones you are missing. Yeah. And whether you're a week and a half or a month and a half or a year and a half into your prep, if you're missing questions, that's 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 your problem. That's always your problem. And you got to yeah. go slower and get in the habit of solving the questions. When you do that, the questions will become easier. And then eventually you'll be able to go faster. Yeah, I agree. This this looking at this 173 is like looking to the top of the mountain and saying, hey, that's where I got to get. And you're not looking at where you're stepping. So you're stumbling and falling all over the place. And you keep saying, oh, my problem is I can't get to the top. It's like, let's work on not falling right now. That's how you're going to get to the top eventually. Yeah, I like that. I, it, it's like, oh, well, to climb Everest, I need a Sherpa and I need oxygen and I need <laughs> like, well, yeah, OK. But how about let's get in shape enough to like walk around the block first. And yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then maybe we'll go for like a little day hike and uh Try that out. And, uh, you know, we'll see whether Everest is ever going to be in the cards. But people like they decide on Everest before they ever like own a pair. I won't of be happy boots. unless I summit Everest. So <laughs> I have to have all, you know, I have to have that pass. Yeah. It's like, okay, we'll get there. But yeah. Well, and what you're saying, you know, to be clear, to get a 173, what you're saying is that you're going to beat 99 out of 100 people who take the test. Yep. Well, let me tell you something. If you're going to beat 99% of all the people who take the test, you're not going to be missing any questions in the first 14 or 15. Yep. You're not. And you're not going to finish the section unless you confidently answer the first 14 or 15. So you've got to get to a point where not only are you solving them, but then you're solving them efficiently. And the way you get to efficient solves is by knowing what you're looking for. You read it better in the first place. You predict the answer to the questions. You dismiss wrong answers quickly because you know that they're wrong. But when you're at 79% accuracy, you can't do that because you don't know what's wrong and what's right. You're still, again, 60% of the time, I think you know the answer. But there's a 20% of the time where or 40% of the time you don't know the answer and like half the time you get it right and half the time you get it wrong. And you're never getting to 173 with that. So that's what's got to change first. And once we change that and can get them all right, then I think you'll just accidentally start going faster. But you're going to have to get it's real hard to do, but you, you have to let go of the time thing. It's not helping you. Maybe reread yep. the book. Or reread the parts of the book, because I know that I lectured you many times about the importance of accuracy over speed in that book. Reread those lectures and just remember that I do not think that 79% accuracy is okay. It's, it's really not. Like you need to, eventually you're going to have to get like 10 out of 10 and probably 15 out of 15. 
Well, yeah, the accuracy. So the accuracy percentage goes needs to go up as the number of questions you attempt goes down. So if we're right. talking about the first five questions, you can't be moving past those first five if you can't get all of those right. You have to get all of those yeah. right. And then of the first 10, maybe it's nine out of 10, but even then you want to get to a point where you're getting 10 out of 10. Like you said, you yeah. can't get a 173 by getting nine out of 10 of the first 10. I think it's my turn to read. Yep. This is from G. Yeah. Uh, G says, hello, gentlemen. I've been using the demon for two months now. The best feeling you can get in the demon is answering a question with 100% satisfaction, knowing it was easy, thinking it was a one out of five difficulty, and then seeing that it was a three or four out of five difficulty. To me, that is the true sign that I am learning. Any thoughts about that? That's not super surprising. I would say it's very hard for people to distinguish between a level one, two, or three question if you're a level four student. Yeah. And they all seem pretty easy. So, yeah. Well, I mean, our one of our main theses is the LSAT is easy. Yeah. And as you prep, you know, you've been using the demon for two months now. Well, yeah, you're going to start to figure out that the questions are super easy they just repeat yeah. themselves that's the same type of dumbass shit question after question after question and you can get super good at them and yeah so the the level three and level four and even level five questions there are many questions that i that look easy to me even though you know sure they get missed a lot which is why they're a level five difficulty question in the demon but you don't have to miss them and I mean, how many 170s do we produce like dozens, <laughs> hundreds even? I mean, like we yeah. that and people who score in the 170s, there are many of us people who score in the 170s. Yeah, we don't even see difficulty on those. Even the hard ones are easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might find one or two questions per test where you're like, huh, that one. I don't know. There's something I'm missing something there. But yeah. even that one, when you finally see it. It's yeah, like, okay. oh, okay, there it is. Yeah, I missed that. All right. Yep. G continues. Main topic. Could you do an episode on the Canadian law school landscape? You've mentioned several times that Canada is your second largest listener demographic. I understand that in the logical sense, this tells one nothing about the quantity of listeners in the country uh, because it could be, you know, 1%. Um, <laughs> but, but I believe it would be incredibly helpful to many Canadians, presumably. Um, we... I don't think we're going to ever do a full episode on thinking LSAT of Canadian law school landscape, but we do have many Canada focused episodes over on our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. And uh, maybe the team can put some links here into the show notes for resources about Canada, because we have done quite a bit of it. We have yeah. multiple Canadians on staff, by the way. So, yeah, we are we are fairly connected now to the Canadian law school landscape. This next email is from Anonymous. I'll read it. I was looking at the 2022 509 report for my 1L class. Obviously irrelevant at this point, but I was curious to see where I stood amongst the class. Can you guys explain why the 509s focus on the incoming classes stats, such as LSAT, GPA, ethnicity, etc., but the scholarship section includes the entire student body at the school? I'm sure I could go back over the last three 509s to somehow work out the numbers, but to be honest, I don't care that much about this. I was just curious to know why, or sorry, how many students in my class received full rides, et cetera. I, hmm. I don't know why, but yeah, grants and scholarships table. I'm looking at Yale right now, Yale 509. I mean, yeah, they, had, they enrolled 168 students last year, but when I get down to the grants and scholarships, 
I see that there are 636 students at the school. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're giving you grants and scholarships for the entire three years of the program. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) these 509s are, they're great because they're the best thing that we have, but they are deficient also in many ways. Yeah. Um, don't know what to tell you. I, I think, you know, it probably doesn't change a whole hell of a lot from year to year. Depends on how conditional they are. That's one of the things. Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about top law schools, they mostly don't give conditional scholarships. They also can just change their strategy from year to year. Right. I mean, we've definitely Mm -hmm. seen schools do that where it's like one year they decide they want to try to climb the rankings and they go out and give a whole bunch of merit-based scholarships. And then, you know, if, (laughs) if their fortunes are not as high next year, or if the MBA overlords who run the business, even if it's a nonprofit, if they determine that we need to make more money, then they might decide not to give so many scholarships in a year. Yeah. And I don't know. Come to our free shit. Um, on Wednesday, January 11th, we have a prep test, a pre-test pump up with Lily. We also have on Thursday, January 12th, Nathan's last minute LSAT tips. That's going to be Thursday, um, at 4 PM or Pacific 7 PM Eastern. You can sign up for that at LSAT.link forward slash Nathan. Are you going to say anything different than you usually say for these last minute tips? I don't know, man. It might be me dunking on all the people who come and think that they're actually going to get last minute LSAT tips. Like I, 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 I have a couple of tips that are related to like mindset, you know? Sure. But yeah. If you think you're going to come to that and get like the magic trick of how to get better at logical reasoning or whatever, like the, the trick is be prepared next time. And you know, like uh, there's, there's probably a lot of my advice is going to be, oh, you're 20 points away from your goal. You need to withdraw from the, <laughs> like that. I mean, so, so the demon subscribers who are currently with us will come and, and enjoy a, an hour of fun banter while the, um, the free students will be told, Hey, there's no secret sauce here that's going to get you to 10 point increase by tomorrow. Yeah. I don't want people to think that we're trying to trick them. I mean, ultimately, we do want to help you as much as we possibly can. And we have to talk to you in order to do that. Right. We have to connect yeah. to you in order to do that. Unfortunately, the Internet is what the Internet is. And things like last minute LSAT tips tend to attract a lot of folks. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping that I will meet a lot of new people. I'm hoping that I will be able to get them, like steer them in the right direction, because quite frankly, that is the best tip that I could give to these people. Yeah, like that is the last minute tip. Hey, by the way, if you're not ready, don't take it. And if you are, yeah. don't make the mistake that everybody does by going too fast or too slow. Yeah. Just take your next practice right. test. Yeah. Yeah. If you're prepared, then I can offer you some last minute tips. Right. Yep. The the last minute tips, if you're prepared are like play your own game. It's just another practice test. You're ready for this thing. You don't need to frantically study the night before. You don't need to do a warm up. You don't need to be all crazy about it because you're already prepared. So just go in and treat it like just another practice test. And that's my best tip for you. For the people who aren't ready, my best tip is don't take the damn test. What are you doing? I know you're signed up for it, but you don't need to be muddying up your official record with bad scores. And if you're miles away from your goal score, 
no last minute magic trick is going to knock it out of the park for you. So I, I, you know, I guess it's a, a little bit of a bait and switch, but the truth is that for the type of people who really think they're going to get a last minute magic trick, that's going to change their entire perception of the test. Yeah. I've, I've got some straight talk for those folks. <laughs> well, that's your last minute tip, which yeah. makes sense that yeah. you yeah, can withdraw okay. up to the last minute or midnight the day before. Yeah. All right, come to that. You can sign up again at lsat.link forward slash Nathan or just go to lsatdemon.com, create a free account and you'll find it all there. Be LSAT famous. Please ask questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, that's how you can get on the show. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 384 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.